why'd you bother that? <laughs> I'm just going to sit there, I'm nice. <laughs> um, I'm really, really annoyed at Brent, because uh, I wanted him to be shit, and he wasn't, he was really good, and it's really annoyed me, because now I've got to kind of keep up to his level. Um, I, I'm amazed to be here. Um, invited by international friends to come and talk, just astounds me that anybody in Canada even knows who we are and what we do. Um, I've done a few presentations in the past, and I've got four of them stored up in that laptop ready to go, but when the call came in from Sebastian to do this, I felt that this platform really deserved to have two new pieces of content, so I am going to refer to my notes a fair bit, because I got the call two weeks ago. Um, as always, I got the call because James Hoffman couldn't come, so we got the James couldn't come, we'll ask Steve to go down James was going to be coming in at this bit, to be fair, like he's, him dropping out is my gain, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, but Sebastian, when he was asking me to come, had, had said that James was going to do a talk on service today, um, and would I consider doing something along the same lines? And it's a topic that really interests me, uh, and I've been lucky enough to see James's presentation at Tampa Tantrum and in a few other, a few other forums. And uh, what you're going to get today is the, the James Hoffman service presentation with a Stevie Layton take on it, with a little bit more red. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think service is a key part of what we do. Um, it's very important, but it's also the hardest thing that we do. I think we can all make amazing, tasty drinks and we can put squiggles on top and serve it to the customer with a relatively easy output. You know, you can go to great roasters like Villa Sebastian Light for Teller, get some great coffees and open up a store, put squiggles on, and you can do that. That's really easy. What I want to talk about is where I think we go wrong with service, what we do right with service, because I think sometimes we forget that we're actually quite a good service industry. And again, maybe a little bit more red. Mm -hmm. So, the talk is, is about service, and, and the underlying part is to stop talking, to start listening. And I think this is really important. Um, we don't listen to our consumers enough. Um, I also have the advantage of being involved in another business as well as my roasting business, which is 3FE Coffee in, in Dublin. This again makes me better than James Hoffman, because he can only talk about roasting. I've got a shop as well. So I'm going to give you an idea of kind of the issues that we've had in, in that store 18 months ago um, and what we do. As Sebastian said, my day-to-day my -day job is managing has-been coffee. We're a quality-focused roastery in the UK, buying some of the best coffees that we can from all around the world, dispatching around about 3,000 internet orders a week. And we have around about 100 wholesale accounts that we supply up and down the UK. With Colin, and we also wholesale into Ireland, so we have a number of cafes in Ireland. And we also work with Attila Molnar from Hungary, who's the Hungarian Brister champion, and he also distributes for us in Hungary. So, with service, um, this is a presentation of the modern day coffee shop has forgotten to listen to its most valuable assets. And look, it must be service because I've got a towel on my arm and I'm a waiter. <laughs> so the question is, what is good service? I want to ask you guys, what, what do you think good service is? What, what, what demonstrates that we give good service? So this is your chance to interact. If you don't, I die on stage and I just wither into the background. So a smile on both faces. Smile on both faces. So that's saying that we both need to get something from the transaction. So I, I, I'm going to put you out your misery because this is my definition of what good service is. It's delivering the best product we can 
while demonstrating empathy with the customer's needs and putting them ahead of our own. So, this is, this is empathy, not sympathy. We're not feeling sympathetic for the needs. We want to try and understand what they need and try and get them across. Now, I don't want you to confuse that with that the customer is always right. The one part that I take from James's presentation, he says that I'm a customer and I'm quite often wrong. And I go into shops and I'm quite often wrong as a customer. I'm ill-informed, I'm under-advised, I don't have enough knowledge about the, the actual products. The really important part there is that we're customers, or they, people coming into our stores are customers. They're the people that are funding our careers. They're the people that are helping us build and grow our businesses. They're the people that are paying our mortgages, getting our children's trust funds together so they can go to college or university. But they're also the people that make tasty coffee sustainable. They're the people that allow us to do our geekery in our roasteries, in our talks that we come to like this, and make it a sustainable thing. I think in the coffee industry when we get together and things like this, or when we shout at each other on forums or on Twitter, we say that the customer's always wrong. The customer's always wrong. The customer has no idea. They don't get me. They're not ready for my store. I really, really, really disagree with that. Like, if the customer doesn't get it, or the customer isn't ready for us, that's our fault. As an industry, we get it wrong. We let them down. We let ourselves down. But the most important part is, we let the coffee producers down. We let the amazing coffee down that we're trying to serve them. Each time we say that the customer doesn't get it, they don't understand, they don't know what we're doing, yeah? Every time we say it, we make it a little bit more real. So we start to believe it. We start to believe that customers don't, we have superhuman taste buds. We're gonna taste this coffee and go, oh, that's amazing, but my customers aren't gonna get that. That's ridiculous. Like, like, I don't have any special taste buds inside my mouth. I can just appreciate the coffee that I drink. And it seems that in, every time I say this, I'm gonna have to, third wave, can we please come up with a new name? Please, please, please. But in third wave stores, it seems that if a customer leaves us upset, disappointed, or angry, like it makes us a little bit cooler. It makes us a little bit better. And it's not. It's not cool for a customer to go away because we were cool and we got what we wanted out of it. We were this cool coffee shop that the customer didn't get it. I think we need to ask the questions, why are customers leaving us disappointed? Why are customers not getting what we're doing and not understanding it? And I think there's many reasons why this can happen. And I can stand here for the next three hours, if you like, and I really can stand here and talk for the next three hours, because I like my voice, I think it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna focus, I'm gonna focus down on, I think it's because we really like being in the deep end. We like being the cool kids. We like being the people that are pushing the envelope and doing things. And I understand this, like I am more than guilty than anyone else of wanting to be at that front end you know, wanting to roast for barista champions, wanting to be at WB backstage, wanting to get the mic and talk to people. You know, I want to be and make a difference in this industry. I want people to understand. But do you know what? None of my customers are interested. When I came back from uh, Bogota last year, roasting the coffee for Alejandro, who won the WBC, do you know how many of my customers gave shit? Not one. A couple were like, oh, well done, Steve. How was that trip to Bogota? You know, but nobody cared. What they cared about was that I was going to find some tasty coffee while I was in Colombia to bring back to them. 
and that they were going to enjoy it. That doesn't make them Luddites, it doesn't make them stupid, it means that they want a really tasty coffee. Tasty cup of coffee. And this is an example of us failing, that we try and be in this deep end. But there is an answer. I'm going to give you all the answers today. <laughs> so, empathise with the customer's needs and put them ahead of our own. So, understand what the customer wants and put them ahead of our own. That's not ignoring our own ones, it's about understanding what our customers actually want. So, I'm going to um, introduce you to somebody. His name is Charlie Marin. So, Charlie is my stepdad. He lived with me when I was, he moved in with my mum when I was about eight, nine years old. He moved in with this kid that had an obsession with red, liked football, and was kind of quite interested in coffee. He didn't have it easy. I'm going to show you a picture of Charlie. This is Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> not going to like that photo. <laughs> I think I'll use this one. This one is a much better picture of Charlie. So this is my stepdad, Charlie. He's much happier with this one. <laughs> so, he grew up in a council estate in Cannock, in the West Midlands in Staffordshire. Now, I don't know if council estate translates in Canada, but it's like the slum parts. It's not where the cool kids hang out. It's where, you know, it's not, not a great place to grow up. But he did well for himself. He runs a pub. He likes real ale, and I put craft ale because, again, I wasn't sure how that would translate. But that proves to me that he likes to taste things. He enjoys things that taste different. He enjoys more whiskey at Christmas when he comes over to mine. We just geek out on more whiskey, tasting all his favourite whiskeys, really enjoying them. He enjoys good food. I mean, you don't get that big not enjoying good food. He likes to eat. Do you know why he's got some money in his pocket? He wants to spend it, he wants to impart it in coffee shops, he wants to impart it on whiskey, good food, pubs. But his biggest problem is when he socialises, because he runs a pub, he wants to escape from the pub. He doesn't want to sit in that pub environment. And the other interesting thing is a human being. And being a human being, he buys coffee sometimes. When he goes out, he escapes the pub with my mum, and they go out somewhere and they go to a coffee shop to sit down and have a coffee together. And he doesn't care what process the coffee is, he doesn't care what varietal it is, what altitude it was grown at, he just he doesn't care about that. And he has more invested in coffee than most people. <coughs> like, he's, he's, he's steps on him, he loves dearly because there's a lot to love. <laughs> he would agree, I'm sure. Like, he, I, I earn my living from it. His daughter, my stepsister, who is... 21, works in my business, she, she works in our dispatch department and she earns a living from it. But he doesn't care. doesn't care about coffee. When I sit down and talk to him about coffee, I've tried it a couple of times, it just starts to glaze over and like starts to uh, great. Kind of like the times when he used to tell me the reason I was getting my head kicked in at school was because I was wearing red shoes and I'd glaze over and not listen to him. He just, he didn't, he's not interested and he's not engaged by it doesn't want to learn, he doesn't want an experience, he doesn't want to be engaged, he doesn't want theatre, he wants a tasty coffee away from the drunkards in his pub with my mum so they can sit down and chat. He wants a break. So, time for a question again. 
what are your customer needs? And because you're so rubbish at answering me back, I'm going to tell you what your customer needs are. I'm going to take control of the situation here. So, what are your customers' needs? They need you to serve them a drink. That is their one need when they come into your coffee shop. They don't need to be educated. They don't need flowers on the side or a beautiful seat. They need you to serve them a drink. Well, let's ask the other question. Told there would be a lot of red involved in that. I, I tried to bring it in as much as I could, but there's still some red made it in. So what are your customers' wants? This is different to a need. What do they want when they come into your shop? Now we can surmise that they may want to learn, they may want other things, but I would say 99% of customers that come into a coffee shop want it to be wet and they want it to be hot. They're the two things that are really important to them in their cup of coffee. Maybe, with an asterisk, maybe, they may want it to be tasty and delicious. The average consumer has the potential to be our most loyal customer. But well, we've got to find a way to engage them. We've got to find a way to meet their needs and wants before we meet our own. But ours are really important too. But if we deliver their needs and wants, you can deliver even more for free. So we can concentrate on what they need and what they want. And in an empathetic way, we find out how we can meet, meet their, their other needs or the wants that they don't even know that they, that they want at this time. But what are our needs? What do we need to get from the transaction of people to come in the shop, apart from the financial transaction, because that's important, because otherwise we go bump. To deliver the best product we can. Nobody will be pissed off if they come in your shop and you give them it warm, hot, and it's tasty and delicious, and you give them the best product that you can, the best thing that you can find. Nobody's ever upset if you over to deliver to them in the coffee shop. 99, maybe 95% won't even notice that you're serving the best product that you can. But that's about your needs, it's not about their needs. And the 5% who do come in will be the ones that will <coughs> love you and spread your word and go forth and do what you need. I want you to think about the time that you fell in love with coffee. Because the reason you're sitting there talking to a ginger guy from Stafford is because at some point in your life, you had an experience that changed your mind about coffee. I know mine, and I talked about it yesterday when I was emceeing. I was at a cupping at my importers in London, uh, McCanter, it was in 2003. I'd just opened the business, and it was my second time ever in London. Bright lights, tubes, people vomiting in the street. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> and I went to London, and I went into this cupping room, and we cooked this coffee, and I got to this one coffee, and the, the, the I, I can remember the people who were in the room, I can remember the time of day, I can remember what the weather was like outside. And this person said to me, this is going to taste of chocolate, caramel, it's going to be really sweet, have an amazing mouthfeel. And I cooked it and it tasted of chocolate, and of caramel, and it had a great mouthfeel, and it was really sweet. I was so excited, I ran outside, when at the first possible point I could be there looking stupid. Phoned up my wife and was like, Sarah, you're not going to believe it, I've cut this coffee and it tasted what it was meant to. Doesn't that happen all the time? Yeah, yeah, sorry, bye. <laughs> really quickly. But I had this moment that stopped me, and it made me stop in my tracks. And every one of your customers has either had that experience, and they're your loyal 5% that come in and you can preach to and you can sell to, but the other 95% haven't had it, 
But who wouldn't want that experience? Who wouldn't want to be amazed with coffee? So, we all talk about educating the customer. I hate the term educating the customer. I like educating my customers, but I hate the term of, I'm going to educate. Would you like to be educated today, sir? And this is a beautiful fact. We'll do this. So before you take this, I'd like to rinse your palate. And I'd like to drink this white tea from you now. And bear in mind that the coffee you're going to drink will be a semi-washed bourbon from the southwest of Wheeler, from the Mitocrop, and made with an overwhelming hibiscus note. That is not a way to educate your customer. The guy who's had that experience, and you know, and he loves coffee, and he comes in and he geeks out you all the time, may be really impressed with that. And I don't think you will be, but you, you, you get the idea that this is not a way to educate the customer. So, question. Another way to not educate the customer. Lecturing. So often when people come into the coffee shop environment, we start to lecture them. We start to tell them what they should taste, what they shouldn't taste, because we're the authorities, we're in charge. I don't know how many cuppings I've been to with professional roasters, baristas who I really respect, and we all have a different cupping note around that table. But because we're in the customer environment, we're lecturing, we're telling them, you will taste this, you will taste that. It's not a great way to educate the customer. Constantly trying to say the same message, saying over and over, is not a good way to educate. Constantly saying the message, saying over and over and over, <laughs> is not a good way to educate. <laughs> Talking is not teaching. What Brent does with Coffee Common, of actually getting people to have a hands-on experience of coffee, is a fantastic way of showing another way we can educate the customer. Just because we talk to them about these coffees, doesn't mean that we're going to educate them. And hitting the customer over the head, and I don't mean literally hitting the customer over the head. When I had a shop in 2000 to 2003, I did that a few times, and the shop closed quite quickly. Uh, <laughs> actually abusing and hitting customers is a wrong thing. Who needs to know? That's why they put me on the internet now and not in a coffee shop. <laughs> this is about taking baby steps. It's about taking their hand and helping them to learn. At 3FE, Thanks for ruining this part for me, by the way. We found a way to introduce little nuggets of information. So, in an offhand, barely noticeable way. So instead of saying, hibiscus notes, and they're beautiful, and it's amazing. I'm gonna, you come to the till and say, I'd like to have a cappuccino, please. Cappuccino, That's a washed yoga chair from Ethiopia. And 50% of the time, I'll go, Idiot. And then the other times they'll go, what's a washing in the chef? What's that mean? And then all of a sudden, you have permission. They've opted in for you to bash them over the head with information as much as you can. And I love this. It says to customers, like, we know what we're doing here. We, we understand what, we, what we're selling, but we're also empathetic of your needs. It may be that you need to sit down on your laptop and answer a really important email and you don't want me bothering you. And we'll withdraw. But if you want to, and you want us to engage, then you can. Colin's really good at this. So, Colin uses in his tamper tantrum talk, and he put a sign up on the wall the first time we had cascara. So we had some cascara arrive from El Salvador, and he put a sign up saying, ask us about cascara. 
every single one of the geeks that come in, and we have a lot of geeks at 3FE, Colin seems to attract these guys, but they come in, they would all come up with a one mango, what's this cascara? Because that's what they were going to do anyway, because they were going to find out we've got cascara and they'd want to find out it's it. And the guys that we dropped the cappuccino down at and they'd gone, oh, what's that, what's it, what's the Ethiopian? They'll go, what's this cascara thing? But the guy who came in and kind of shuffled up to the till and went, cappuccino, please, thank you, and he'd go away. At the end, on his way out, he'd come up to the till again, he'd go, What's this cascara? <laughs> <laughs> and he opted in. He opted in to find out about what cascara was with a piece of A4 paper laminated. The, the cost of this was nothing. It cost nothing and it created a buzz that one, we were different to other coffee shops. So we had a sign on the wall that was talking about things that were different. And we did it with, ask us about Pacamara. What's Pacamara? So all of again, yeah, it has exactly the same effect. Ask us why we don't do decaf. Ask us about why we've got smaller cups. All things that people wanted to ask, but didn't feel they had the permission to ask because they didn't want to look stupid. And this gave them an opportunity to not look stupid and ask the question. We also had asked us why that guy has red shoes on stage, but that one didn't go down, so we didn't great thing about this, it gives the, the customer the chance to communicate with the baristas when they want to, We're giving them permission. Because a lot of the time, we'll be focusing on our geeks. We'll be talking to the ones that come and sit at the brew bar and take up all of our lives. <laughs> so, but, be careful. So this is from the BBC website, where, I, don't, I think it's fairly common practice in North America and Canada that if you go to Starbucks and say, what's your name, write it on the <laughs> and put it on top. Now, Starbucks introduced that, not because they wanted to get a database of names they could put together to find out who had mocha chocolates, because it was a much easier way of writing on the cup to say, cappuccino for John, John, cappuccino. But in the UK, they took it that it was like this really bad thing. So, because they wanted to, like, actually engage with the customer. So the reason they asked the name was when they come in, you go up to the till, cappuccino please, yep, right, and, and that was it, interaction was over. Starbucks wanted it, what's your name? Okay, John, thanks very much. John, there's your cappuccino. They wanted to be more in touch, and it can backfire. It has been, it's a little bit different. So I don't get people coming through the doors. I can't put signs on the wall, and I can't drop the cappuccino down asking them, a little bit of information. All of my stuff is done on email. I have around about 400 emails every day. Every single day I will have 400 interactions that I have to have with customers. And it might be that it's X to do with Y, it could be anything, it could be all sorts of things. How do I store my coffee? Uh, you know, how long will coffee last? What's the best coffee I can drink? All the questions that we got emceeing yesterday, I get asked on email every single day. And it's really important that this is my way of communicating with my customers. So I will drop in little nuggets in there as well, and I will say, look, say they're asking me about aeropresses. Like, uh, what's, what dose should I use on my aeropress? So I'll say, you should use around about 16 grams. Um, have you seen this? Well, little video. Little video to go and look at our brew guides. Straight away, they click the brew guides, they learn a little bit more, they find the rest of the brew guides, and they stop emailing me. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the, the idea of service. What is good service? And this is no different from the internet as it is from the coffee shop. 
delivering the best product we can while demonstrating empathy with our customers' needs and putting them ahead of our own. It's a really, really simple concept. I'm going to tell you some things that are going to blow your mind. Like these are, this is like, this is going to change coffee as you know it. <laughs> Good coffee tastes nice. Do we agree? People like things that taste nice. I like things that taste nice. I think they're really good. They're much better than the things that don't taste nice. People like good coffee. Like, people come to our shops because they like us, they like our decor, they like what we do. The main reason they come is coffee tastes nice, people like things that are nice, and people like good coffee. The hardest part of our service is not about educating the customer, it's about finding the way that we engage with the ones that want to be educated and just give these things to the ones that don't. Making your product better every single day is not revolutionising it, it's about taking the ingredients you have, taking the shop that you have, taking the customers that you have and just making things a little bit better. And I'm going to give you an action plan to do this. So again, I told you I've got all the answers in this presentation. So, drop screens and blocks heavily. That will make the biggest difference to your coffee shops and your customers' experience of coffee than 99% of things that you can do. Drop the blocks and clean them. Clean the machine. Flush your machine every time. Now, I, I, kinda, I can, when I wrote that down, everyone's going to say, we do that, we do that. Not every single time. When the line's out the door and you've got some next one to do, you just go, pass. Every single time, these can make our coffees taste better and give our customers better service and better experiences. A clean jug every single time you steam. And not every single time when you're quiet, it's every single time. Those things will probably make 0.5 to 1% difference to the cup. Say 0.5, let's, I'll, I'll be really mean on it. That means every single cup that you sell will be 1.5% better, will make the coffee taste nicer, and give your customers a better experience and in turn, give them better service. Again, I promise it's the last time I'll bash over the head with this one. But it's delivering the best product we can while demonstrating empathy with the customer. So, before I finish, does everybody know what a bacon butt is? I, I hope you don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a couple of people do. This is a bacon sandwich. What's this got to do with coffee? Everyone, every coffee shop in the world needs a bacon butter. Do I need to expand? Okay. So, we're lucky, we have some wholesale customers in the UK that are some of the best shops in the UK. We work with some amazing customers. And this is one of them here. It's called Bold Street Coffee. It's a very progressive coffee shop in Liverpool. It's probably the only destination coffee shop in Liverpool. Sam, who's the guy on the right there, um, and the guy on the left is Dale, my wholesale director. But Sam uh, has worked with us for a number of years. He used to have a mobile van, and he wanted to do the best mobile van that he could. He goes to Glastonbury and lots of big events. But when he got this shop, it was his first bricks and mortar. And this place was a greasy spoon. And I'm guessing a greasy spoon doesn't translate very well, but 
think about builders' tea and bacon sandwiches and a bit not very good quality, but you know, it kind of attracts a certain kind of person. So Sam took over this place and he painted the wall. It doesn't look like a greasy spoon now, no at all. Like it, that's very different to what a greasy spoon looks like. He painted the wall, he made lovely counters, but he also understood the value of those people who were coming in the shop, had money in their pockets. They were like Charlie. Like Charlie likes bacon sandwiches, I like bacon sandwiches. No, they're good. So he thought, how can I capture those people while getting all of the coffee geeks in Liverpool to come in here and find me to be the best coffee shop that they can? So he introduced the bacon butty. And he introduced the bacon butty because what he wanted to do was he was going to do the best possible products that he could. So he went and sourced the best bread from a local baker that he could. And it was amazing bread. And then he works with a local pig farmer in Liverpool that has the best pork I have ever tasted in my life. And he didn't stop there. He went and got ketchup. Not ketchup from the supermarket, but the best ketchup that he could find. It was made by a local producer. And then he went to find brown sauce, and I'm sure brown sauce doesn't translate, but <laughs> brown sauce is, is delish. And he went and found the best brown sauce that he could. And then he introduced it to his shop. And all the new coffee geeks that came in, like, me, I'm a coffee geek, and I go in and I go, oh, I love bacon sandwiches, and I eat this amazing bacon sandwich, and I dream about this bacon sandwich, it's amazing. And all the customers that used to go in the greasy spoon walked in and went, oh, bacon butty, oh, thank God, they've still got it. And it had come, and they got a bacon sandwich, and it was amazing. It, like, they weren't upset that they over-delivered on what they used to get. And when they asked for a coffee, they used to get instant coffee, but they'd bring him a filter coffee, and they'd taste the filter coffee, and they'd go, that tastes nice, because good coffee tastes nice, and I like that, and I like the bacon, and this is a great place. Few of them complained because it had gone up a little bit, but they, they got over that fairly soon. So the bacon butty is an amazing venture, and all it is is finding something in the shop that makes you distinct. So I had a group of friends come across from Paris, they were opening a coffee shop, amazing coffee shop called Telescope Coffee. If you were in Paris, it's not far from the Louvre, and it is the best coffee shop in Paris by the way. It's the, that's kind of like saying that I'm, you know, who's the best looking guy on stage in red shoes you know, they are the best coffee shop in Paris but it is an amazing place and David uh, who is co-owner and um, uh, oh, you're always going to forget names um, Nicholas whew, saved. David Nicholas came to see me, David is an American guy and Nicholas is a French guy and I was explaining the bacon butty to them and they, David was kind of getting it because he's no, I'm not going to do a French accent because I really can't do it. And he was like, no, 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 you can't do that in Paris. I'm not, I'm, look, I'm not being literal here. You don't have to do bacon sandwiches. You just have to find something that's amazing. He was like, no, that doesn't work. So I took them to Liverpool. And within about five minutes of being there, Nicholas had got it. So this is David. And what they brought was toast. It's an amazing invention, isn't it? Toast. But you know what? In France, they don't eat a lot of toast. They mainly they eat a lot of baguettes. Baguettes tend not to go in the toaster very well. <laughs> so they don't tend to toast bread as much as normal. Uh, and when they do have toast, it's normally when they're out. So what David did was he went to the local bank and said, we want you to create a loaf that will be able to be cut up to go in a toaster easily enough. And he was like, yeah, we can do that. So they made this great bread. And the bread in Paris is amazing. But he didn't stop there. He then went and found the best salted butter that he could find and they tasted 20 butters, and they found one that was perfect. But they didn't stop there. They then went and tasted 130 preserves, 
to find the best preserve to go on that toast, and they found it. And I was like, toast is toast, it's not going to blow me away, it's not going to be amazing. And when I went to go and visit them when they opened, it's the best damn toast I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Empathise with the customer's needs and put them ahead of our own. Nicholas and David didn't want to sell toast. That was not their dream. Their dream was to sell amazing, tasty coffee. But they needed to find a way of bringing the customers in to get them to come and be part of what they wanted it to be. And in time, they will have the biggest coffee geek following in anywhere in Europe because they are the only coffee shop in Paris and Paris is somewhere where they like to taste nice things. Thank you very much for, talking, for sitting here listening to me. I know it's kind of hard with my accent and the speed that I go. Uh, I love you with an asterisk. And the asterisk is because you didn't do orgia. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Um, you had a this afternoon's presentation as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, my question is this. You talk about empathy for the customers, and I kind of view it as... Um, yeah, you never want to make your customer feel stupid. It's the last thing that you want to do, right? And that, and that tends to be one of the problems maybe that the third wave the coffee industry has had lately is that we've come across as making our customers feel stupid. In a, in a way, I mean... Because we want to be cool. Because, of, our, that because of the pretentiousness yeah. that, that, that has been labeled to us. So, when, and, and let's be honest, we know lots of people in this industry that are dicks. There are lots of them, yeah. Sorry. So, for instance, when you've got a customer who comes in and they don't know anything about coffee, but they are the, the customer that you want. There's somebody that you want to become uh, loyal to your business because of that chain reaction, because of that money in your pocket, which, again, feeds the line and so on and so forth, that allows you to do a better job and bring in what you want to do and make, make it better. You want them as a customer and eventually maybe change them. Here's one. As a barista, from a barista standpoint, or somebody who's working behind the bar, Hi, I'd like um, um, to buy some beans. Um, I want something that's um, uh, uh, a dark body, full. Oh no 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 no! no we don't do dark roast here. A dark no, roast, no, we're, full, we're cool. full body. No no, we're cool. Listen, we're cool, and we don't do dark roast here. Yeah, we only do these ones that we put in the sun for half an hour, and they go from green to like a yellow color, and then we bring. And, and that's what. <coughs> a lot of, I'm obviously not into that. Either. And, and the customer comes, but they say all the wrong. They say all of the things that you know as a coffee professional. Hey, you just said five things that 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 don't match. They don't work. But that's what you're asking. For. Well, you have to empathise with that customer and say, okay, you, you like something that's full of body. We, so you're not going to say, here's a yoga chef. You know, here's a washed yoga chef that's like floral and say, okay, you like. Is it because you like something that kind of fills your mouth and it's more, yeah, yeah, no, I like that. And do you like sweetness? And 99% of people go, yeah, I like sweetness. Sweetness is good. So, okay, well, let me try it. And you give them something like a bourbon from El Salvador that is sweet and chocolatey, or that Brazil that I was talking about that I, when I had my moments. Yeah. And they go, okay, 
And that's why it's important to not buy coffee just for us. Right. Like, because if I was buying coffee just for me, I, it would be a very small portfolio of coffees I have. As it is, I have 55 single origins at the moment. Right. So so last year we had 130 coffees. And I love them all for different things. So in a way, it's about tricking them. You don't need to empathise with what they're trying to say and translating. Right. Because right. nobody likes to taste carbon. Yeah. Because, as I said, because coffee, good coffee tastes nice and people like things that taste nice. When they open the bag, it's not going to be a dark roasted coffee with oil on it. No. And sometimes they're going to come back and go, well, this doesn't have any oils on the outside. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, you see, and then, but then it's your job when they're there to explain to them that this is not going to be your dark roast. Like what I'm doing, if you like this and you like this and this, this is going to give you a new experience and you might find that you like other things. Yeah. And then, like, I use, I hate the wine analogy. It, it sucks and blows and all sorts of other things, but I use it so much. So I will turn around to them and say, okay, do you remember the first time you had, white, you had a white wine and the only thing that you liked was a Chardonnay? Because that's all you'd been exposed to and that's all you'd had. And then somebody showed you something that was drier and had more depth and more complexity to it. You went, Oh man, and he'd say, do you want to be on that journey or do you just want some Chardonnay? Because if you want some Chardonnay, I've got it. You know, I don't sell Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, and something that James again talks about in his presentation, and I didn't want to do a carbon copy of what he did, but he talks about, it's about giving the impression. When somebody goes into 3FE, they know that they're not going to get a normal, they're not going to get the experience of it when they're going to Starbucks. They're confused, things have changed, things have moved, things are in different places. And it's, it's all over to me. Probably the best example I've seen of it, where and the customer goes in, they're not expecting Starbucks. Right. And, and, and if we do put these, do we look exactly like Starbucks with a lovely leather sofa and a painted over there and a menu board here and all the drinks are called the same thing? And I talk about this a little bit this afternoon. But if we do that, then we can't be upset when they come in expecting those things and we can't deliver what they want. Right. So we have to make sure that they know we're different. Like I, I wouldn't go into, I don't know what the equivalent is, but we call them bargain boozes, which sell cheap wine and lager, and go and say, can I have some uh, really great IPAs and a 500 pound bottle of wine, please? Because right. they're going to bargain booze with the name gives it away a little bit. It's bargain and it's cheap and it's not going to be great. Right? So it, it's about us taking what we do and making sure that the customer isn't confused by what we're doing. Because we, don't, we shouldn't be trying to copy what Starbucks are or what... The other brands are Timothy Hall, Tim Hall, it's a carnival with Timothy Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed out on a great joke yesterday called Timothy Hall. It's ruined. Yeah, the other thing that I've seen James say is in an MA3FE, maybe things are a little bit different, and there are only a handful of shops that are like that, but there still can be great shops that look like Starbucks. So when you walk in and and I've heard him say, you've got it, you've got your cash register, you've got your espresso machine, you've got this, you've got But when that. the customer sort of goes out upset, yeah. that's our fault because we haven't communicated that we're different enough. And how you do that, whether you do it with signs, whether you do it with moving the tilt to a different place, whether everybody wears red, like you can do whatever you want to make that happen. Yeah. I like the red idea, actually. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. But you, you, know, you need to do something to show that when they come in, they're not going to get a normal experience. Then they won't be upset. Right. But if they come in and see everything is the same. But how many signs can you put it? Like, I mean, and the signs is easy. But I mean, here's another one because I love the tricks that, and, and from a barista's point of view, like, I just want to hear some of the tricks up your sleeve, and it's like, and it's like, can I, hey, can I have, can I have an espresso to go? And um, well, Frank, we don't do espressos to go. Um, we've got some some cups here that you can take your espresso if you really want to. It won't taste as great, 
But, like, why don't you just have it here with us? Just take a minute, and I'll have a chat with you. But my dog's tied up right across the street, and I'm going to get going, and I just really... Yeah, well, espresso isn't for you, then, I'm afraid. You know? Like, this is the thing, like, I don't go into a wine place, and I don't go to a fine dining restaurant and say, can I have takeaway, please? Yeah. Like, because my expectations are, they'll be really pissed off with me if I do. So, like, why do we feel that we have to bend to it? We need to make sure we communicate that we don't do that in a great way. And I don't know all of these, the answers to these solutions, and these are things that we're all, like, every day in 3FE, somebody will come in and show that we're really rubbish at what we do. And we have to think, right, well, hey, and then we fix that one, and then something else yeah. happens. And again, it's a little bit of a talk, this afternoon. I just feel like when somebody's about to especially if it's a bag of coffee. They're going to spend $20 on a bag of coffee. They're usually open to answer some questions. So if you ask them a couple questions about how they're going to drink the coffee, you think they're going to put cream in it, which you might maybe put cream in it, that kind of thing, then you can kind of help zero them in on coffee. And you don't even necessarily have to, you don't have to like try to replicate what they're getting somewhere else. It's exactly, it's the baby steps of taking them on the coffee journey. And how we do that in all of our stores is going to be completely different because each one of our customers that comes in is different. But I think, you know, it's, it's really important, that's, you know, it's really important. If they want, if they come into your store and they're asking to buy a bag of coffee, like, I think we, when somebody goes online and they search for coffee beans and they come to Hasbeen, I'm pretty sure they want an experience. They want something and they're telling me what they like in the past because that's all they've been exposed to. Before you've tasted your Chardonnay, you're going to ask for Chardonnay. You know, and, and, and it's about like, being empathetic to what they really want and looking further past. If somebody's coming to your store that sells a $20 bag of coffee, that they can buy it for $5 in the 7-Eleven, you know, why would they come into your store? They, they've come in, they've, they've, something's happened that they want an experience, and you need to kind of help them get the positive one. I think something that bears reminding um, when you're doing customer interactions is, as a barista, you tend to be caffeinated. And sometimes, <laughs> and if you're a good barista, you should be caffeinated. But I've watched, I've watched about three o'clock in a lot of cafes. You know, when there's a bit of a slump time, people are so caffeinated behind the bar. The poor customer comes in and hasn't had their coffee all day. And they get barraged by, by enthusiasm. But, uh, and I recommend the internet. Yeah. It help me. <laughs> I think it really does bear reminding that we're, we are we are caffeinated. We're we're working with drugs, and sometimes you have to take a step back from that. And you know, there's my drug problem. Oh, the caffeine. Yeah, oh. yeah. Talking really fast right now. Okay. No, no, for sure. And I think again, it's about being empathetic and getting our message across. Like we think that everybody knows what we know. Like they think that everything, everybody has the knowledge of coffee that we have, and, and they don't because we've spent an awful long time. Like I don't spend a waking moment where I don't think about coffee, so I should know more than the customers. You know, that's that's only right. But I quite often go, yeah, no, this is a this is a Keturah from you know from El Salvador, and it's delicious to wash process, and you'll really like this. And like they go, oh. so it's about being empathetic to the needs and ca being caffeinated is one part you need to kind of be aware. Yeah, I just want to say um, one thing I think is interesting for me in the last four or five years of the cafe is that so much of what's happening in the coffee industry is changing so fast that from the average consumer, their experience of coffee is pretty, pretty static. 
As an industry, though, you've got to remember we're still teenagers. Like, and I don't trust teenagers to do anything. I live with a 16-year-old. He's got smelly feet and he's got a really bad attitude. So that's kind of like the coffee industry is where it's at at 16. You know, it really is not not old. And, and, and the well, consumer... Well, I to add to that. Sorry, was yeah. that we are so absorbed in what we're learning about it that I think sometimes we're placing more to into it. We're looking more towards the industry rather than looking out. Which is what you're talking about, really. Yeah, I mean, Twitter's a perfect example of the echo chamber of the industry where we all have these amazing ideas and we talk, nobody cares. Like, barista competition, when I came back from Bogota, nobody cared. Like, but the thing is that the, the coffee consumer has moved on because they are asking for smaller drinks. They're understanding why drinks are smaller. They're understanding that different countries will have different tastes in coffee. And again, wine analogy sucks, but think about 20 years ago and the wines we were drinking then to what we're doing now. As consumers, we are becoming much more educated in these things. Like, it, 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 I think the consumer has grown quite massively in the past five years. Not. Certainly in the UK, like we went from 95% of the population drinking instant. Like now we're now 25%, uh, like those 75% is still instant, but that's in five years. And, and it's, like, it's rapidly changing, like rapidly. Like we used to be a very big tea consuming nation, now we drink more coffee than we do tea. Um, so the, like, as a population we really have changed. I can't comment on what, like, what's happening here. From what I've seen, you seem to have a fairly developed, like, well-grounded customer that wants to taste coffee and come to events like this. So like the, the event yesterday with the barista competition, there were a lot of members of the public here. So that shows to me there is some enthusiasm and some knowledge. So like, I think we should be grateful of what we have. And look forward to tomorrow. Cool. Training. Um, if you have a really small shop and you are the one doing uh, like on the floor and you're doing uh, actually delivering this kind of service, that's one thing. Uh, the challenge is when you have a team of people who need to deliver to this level. So I don't know, um, maybe it's something we're, we're going to talk about this afternoon, but uh, it really definitely comes down to training. So what, what are you guys doing? Has it has been. So it has been. Three of me. I think that the best way to get the right staff to start with is be the best place in Dublin. But we are the best place. Without, without shadow, without. But again, that's like being the best looking guy on stage in red shoes. <laughs> we're the we're the. the yeah, 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 totally, yeah. But we, we don't, so we attract staff that don't need to, we don't employ staff that need to be trained. We employ people that need to be trained in how to make espresso, don't need to be trained in how to be empathetic to the customer's needs. Like, that's the, teaching it, I can, give me two hours, I'll teach them to make good espresso. Like, not, not amazing espresso, not competition standard, but on a bar they'll make good espresso and they'll steam to it. You know? But teaching somebody how to be empathetic to a customer's needs, be sending them away on a 12-month training course if they, 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 they don't have it. So training for customer service, we don't need to do. In fact, we learn from the guys coming in. And we've been very careful in the team we've selected. Like we've, we've employed two chefs, not because we needed some food cooking. They've become baristas in the store. Um, Pete, uh, who uh, some of you might know from Coffee Common, who've been there. And, like Pete is an amazing guy. He was a chef. Came, joined us within six weeks. He entered the Irish Barista Championship and came second. Like, and it's not, the Irish Championship isn't shit, it's quite good. Like, <laughs> Stephen Morrison came from the Irish Championship and they've had fourth, 
fourth and third out the past four years. So it's, it's a good competition. And he went in because he got the skills already. And he just taught him how to make his breast. How do you kind of get up to aspect of everyone's coming in the door, you just assume that they know who you are, what you're doing, and so you have to. I think you never assume that. You hope that they've got it. So the, from, from the visual indicators, they've come in and got it. But if they, if they haven't, then you just need to be empathetic to that again and understand that they haven't seen these visual indicators. So you need to communicate to them that, you know, again, like, the reason, I, I don't want to kind of steal from the, the talk to remember the reason we don't do decaf is not because we're third wave and really cool, it's because we can't manage to dial in the grinder for three cups a day. So when somebody comes in and says, well, why don't you do decaf? We don't try and be dickish and go, oh, because we're too cool. It's because we say, we can't, we, we literally, we can't justify having a grinder just for decaf <laughs> and then wasting half of the bag dialing it in because we've selling three. And customers will get it. Okay, yeah. I'll, uh, well, I don't really need the camera, just like it. I'll have a latte. And then they go, uh, then we say, actually, no, we don't do latte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for later. I do My left the hook. Yeah. Oh, oh no, I didn't do it. Last one. Um, where do you see the industry going in the next three to five years? I'm really excited because I can't, I, I don't want to kind of make like predictions on that we're going to do all these wonderful things because uh, it, it's like evolved beyond my belief in five years. Like the last five years for me have been, particularly being in the UK, like in London two, like five years ago, there were two shops you could go to. Now there's, it's an amazing scene with lots of great coffee shops. Um, so I don't know where, where it's going, but I feel really positive about it. Um, I'm really excited. And a lot of my presentation this afternoon is talking about that, like how we're going to evolve and how we're going to kind of move on. Um, but I think it's a really exciting time. Like we're going from 16, where we're going to start drinking beer soon and getting girlfriends, and it's going to be ace. I've got to be but I know at 18 I have the most fun. So I, I see that's where we're going and as an industry. Yeah. <laughs>